Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Javiera al portugués, parte entre líneas en la frontal en el balconcito del área, se mete Odegar, se cuela Odegar, golazo de Odegar, golazo de, de Odegar, gol, 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 Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a goodly evening to you. Goodly evening, Andrew. It feels good, doesn't it? Does all right. Does. It's, it's pretty goodly as things go. I have no complaints as to where we are, what we're doing, and how we've got there, and and everything else. I should just say, though, at the start of this podcast, um, if there are loud noises... It is uh, obviously because it's Halloween. Happy Halloween to you, James. Happy Halloween, guys. Uh, yeah, the door has just gone downstairs. There's some little children coming around begging for sweets. That's what they do. And out the back, there are fireworks and bits of dynamite and all kinds of shit going on because, you know, we is take... the thing? Fireworks? Yeah. Oh, here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We don't do... Uh, Guy Fawkes night. We burn a figure of him, whereas well, there you, you, would, go. you know, venerate him, I imagine. Yeah, but but Halloween night, of course, is uh, is the night when we do all the fireworks and the bonfires and stuff like that. Halloween, yeah. of you know, being an Irish thing, of course, you you uh, 
you guys have, you know, the world has taken it over. Cultural, it's one of your cultural great exports. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, we, Guinness, Halloween. Uh, Irish pubs. We invented those as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What a list. I know. What a country. It's, what it's a nation. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So if there are interruptions or loud noises or explosions, that is what's going on behind me. So not much I can okay. do about it. Uh, that's fine. Nothing could bring me down, Andrew. No amount of explosions. I think people have waited for this podcast. It's Monday evening. Yeah. And we should deliver. We should make this podcast as indulgent and celebratory uh, as we possibly can. Well, I think that's something we're quite capable of doing, much like Mikel Arteta's team were capable of resetting after he said, hey, we need a bit of a reset here. And they said, all right, let's do it. Hey, did it. I, listen, I, I can't believe I've seen, you know, there have been a good few headline puns around. I saw yours today, Reese Lightning, on yeah. the blog. I haven't seen anybody go for reset. <gasps> it was the reset. My God. I know. I thought about crowbarring into the intro of my article and thought, like, I can't quite justify it. But it's it was the oh. reset. He, he told us what he was going to do. Damn it, damn! That's unbelievable. I can't believe I overlooked that one because everybody was doing the old uh, admirable Nelson. Yeah, uh, a lot of that around. Reese Lightning, I enjoyed. Um, I'm sure there were others, but Reese's Mikel, pieces Mikel, in front of goal. Reese's pieces, but you know, Mikel Arteta. I bet if we watch that press conference again, yeah, he says the team needs a reset. And he, I bet he, I bet he winks after the Reese. Yeah, a reset. Reset, eh? Hey, huh? Levin Golski. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, he told us. He told us. I mean, do, should we do the halftime texts now and get that out of the way? Do you think? Uh, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what halftime texts? So Delete look, everything. It was one nil to Arsenal at halftime. Mm -hmm. Good value for the lead. But, you know, I, I understand why there was a measure of a measure of caution, you know, perhaps a little bit of worry around because the second halves in recent weeks have not been great. And obviously what happened at Southampton, we were 1-0 up and then let in a goal in the in the second half. It didn't go our way, didn't take our chances. You know, history is, is, is doomed to repeat itself when you're an Arsenal fan, you know? This is, yeah. this is what happens. Actually, did you see that... Um, Jonathan Liu article about uh, it was in the Guardian about Gabriel Jesus. I thought it was really well, uh, really well written. But he said it's the eternal gift of Arsenal fans to be able to identify the potential anxiety in virtually any situation, however favourable or triumphant. Pleasure is simply misery deferred, and I, <laughs> I thought that was so good because you know even even something like the mm. the announcement of the team, you know Tommy Hasu at left back ahead of Kieran Tierney and it's like you know Twitter goes a bit mental um, in that hour between team announcement and, and kickoff it's you know up there with my least favourite bits <laughs> of Twitter it's, it's in more general. stressful than the game I think that hour yeah. before in some respects I've got to uh, turn it off because you're going oh, I'll, I'll just no I'll, I'll have a quick look and someone goes playing Tommy Asu instead of Tierney, but what if everyone pulls their cruciate ligaments all at the same time? <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's, it yeah. goes to those kinds of extremes at times. But um, I thought that was very nice from Jonathan Liu, and I've lost my train of thought now completely. The, oh, we the were WhatsApps, doing the halftime. The WhatsApps. The WhatsApps. The, let's uh, lift the curtain. Is that what you do? Yeah. No, you lift a skirt. You pull back a curtain. 
I don't know. I'm not lifting my skirt to you this evening. Let's reveal the WhatsApps. Okay, so it was 1-0 at halftime. We were talking about the, the slight bit of anxiety. And you you texted to me and said, V bad feeling about this one. Hope I am wrong. What time was that? What de- what time was that? 14.56. That was at the halftime break. Yeah, I had it before the game and I, and I still had it at 1-0, especially after Saka went off. Yeah, so I, I replied to you, not feeling Nelson at all. <laughs> Yeah. We definitely need another goal. Half right. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said... Um, mm. We don't need to do what I said, okay. Andrew. You were, yeah. you were in agreement. You you had suggested that maybe, you know, another player or two might have come on ahead of uh, No, I, 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 I was joking. We can read what I said. I said, um, it felt like a sub that was more about players who underperformed in midweek. Um would rather have seen Eddie or Vieira on. I mean, that is... Mm. What am I talking about? And then... Then, minutes later, I mean, 10 minutes later... You uh, replied saying, ignore me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I had to do a little reply to my not feeling Nelson at all with the uh, crying laughing emoji. So, listen, people wanted to know what was different about the second half yesterday compared to some of the second halves of the past and it was us we we made it happen and um you know we're not here to take the credit or anything like that yeah but a perfect reverse jinx you know double teamed it and arsenal won five nil so i i don't think people can throw uh too much shade at us for this one do you that's true before the chelsea game i need you to text me saying not feeling Gabby Jesus at the moment. And I'll say, would rather have seen Eddie start. And then, you know, the goals yeah, will flow for him that's once That's exactly. Again. We, will, we will make that happen. I'll schedule those, um, those texts right now. Hey, delighted to be wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, really was thrilled uh, to be wrong about that one. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. But obviously, we had another bright start as we have many times this season, we got off to a, a cracking start in this game. Five minutes in, in the fifth minute, Gabriel Martinelli with a superb goal. A really, really brilliant headed goal um, made, you know, in some small part by the pass from Bakayo Saka, but mostly the drive and determination and bravery of Gabriel Martinelli, who actually, you know, when you see the move back again, he plays the pass out to Saka and then just charges into the uh, into the box to get his head on it. I really enjoyed um, Match of the Day when Jermaine Genus was trying to explain how terrible it was. Uh, from the Forest point of view, as a, as a defensive mistake, and I think it was Michael Antonio was was with him, um, mm. and just basically said, "Yeah, this was actually a brilliant goal by Martinelli." You know, Forest there wasn't a great deal they could do about it. Maybe the uh, the defender was a little bit static, but Martinelli had a you know ten yard, fifteen yard run on him to get to that ball, and very brave, you know, to put his head where boots are often flying and and to power that beyond the goalkeeper. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic goal. Like you say, a, a sort of a one-two of sorts. Um, mm. And I, I thought as well, a really tidy piece of defending to regain possession from Tommy Asu, you know, whose set, uh, selection had been relatively controversial on social media before the game. Um, and after that, it's just brilliant from Martinelli, brilliant from Saka. 
And the kind of goal, the kind of header that gives you uh, sort of fuzzy memories of those early Martinelli goals yeah. in like the Carabao Cup and the Europa when he was playing as a centre forward and surprising us all with his ability to get on the end of stuff and head the ball. Um, yeah, just a really fantastic goal and this, this kind of start that we needed. We came out the blocks flying as we have done several times this season and got the reward and it settled a few nerves. I think there were a few nerves heading into this game among the Arsenal fans. Yeah. It wasn't quite as raucous and uh, joyous as it, as it has been, uh, you know, pre-game thus far this season. Well, I mean, that that's normal because there are going to be ups and downs in the season in terms of results and performances and those things also affect the mood. So yeah. I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with that. I just thought it was quite interesting when we were talking on, on Friday, um, Philippe O'Claire on the Arscast talking about Gabriel Martinelli being the best attacking header of the ball in the team, according to Nicholas Yover, the set-piece coach, and, um, you know, he pops up with a head of goals. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll have to uh, get Philippe back on to talk about somebody else being the best in the team at doing something, you know, amazing. Who's the best at doing an overhead kick from 40 yards to win a game at Stamford Bridge? We'll, yeah. um, we'll discuss that with Philippe uh, on Friday. <laughs> um, there was a, another chance uh, or two in that first half. Gabriel or um, Gabriel Jesus curling wide, Bakayo Saka playing him in, and Martinelli had one cleared off the line but but I suppose the story of the the opening 20 minutes bar the goal was Bakayo Saka and the fact that he took a kick and did not look right afterwards and um yeah it took him a, a while to come off the pitch but you could see pretty clearly that he wasn't comfortable at all there were a couple of moments where he took the ball on the on the wing and played a pass with his right foot because I think hitting the ball with his left foot was just too painful. Yeah, it was interesting. Forrest played uh, a guy called Lodi at left back who hasn't started for them for a while. I think they've been playing Nico Williams, who's a, a right foot mm. player at left back. The, the mad men. Um, and uh, they brought in Lodi. And to be honest, he was having a nightmare against Saka. Like he really couldn't live with him. And the only way in which he could live with him was kicking him. And he did it inside the first minute. He went after him a couple more times in that half hour. And Saka was in real pain. Like there were a couple of instances where he played a pass off his left foot and sort of visibly winced and felt it. And the crowd had that intake of breath as they saw that. And there was about 10 minutes Mm. with Gary O'Driscoll stood next to Mikel Arteta in the technical area, um, just watching Saka and trying to make an assessment. And Arteta, was you could see actually, was getting a bit, frustrated I mean I obviously you're always filling in the gaps but what it looked like to me was that Arteta was like we need to make a decision here Mm. one way or the other because we've got a guy on the pitch who's not comfortable um, and we need to know is he staying on is he not Um, and there was quite a lot of deliberation I think eventually sort of got to the point where Saka went down and they were like right well, that that's that. Um, yeah, he took a shot, actually. It was, uh, was it the one where Martinelli was cleared off the line and the ball came back to him? He volleyed it over the bar and yeah. then just sort of limped a little bit and then, and then sat down and made so made the decision, yeah. you know? It is a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, when a player is as important as Bakayo Saki, there's this balance between, well, you want him on the pitch, but you also want to protect him. You also want to make sure that you don't exacerbate any potential problem that he has. Um, and he was playing brilliantly. I mean, I, you know, I can understand the temptation. And, and also with a kick, 
you know, it wasn't like he pulled a hamstring. Sometimes with a kick, you can work through it or you can yeah. run it off. It's not unheard of at all. So I can see why there was that deliberation. But, um, yeah, ultimately they had to make the change. And, well, it, it won't surprise any listeners, given they know about my halftime text messages and, and yours, that I was surprised that it was Reese Nelson that Mikel Arteta opted for yeah. out of the guys who were warming up. I was a little bit surprised as well. You know, um, Fabio Vieira played there. Um, he did have Marquinhos on the bench. Yeah. I'm not sure that Eddie would have been the right sub in, in that context. Um, he's done it plenty, you know, putting Eddie wide or... Yeah. Or not on the right, though. Jesus Very rarely. Not on the right. Not on the right. Yeah. So, um, you know, before we move on, though, just to, to talk about, you know, what came next... Um, what do you make? I mean, I, I feel personally, I feel and have done for a long time, and I'm sure I've said this on, on the pod with you before, that Bukayo Saka is a player who does not get sufficient protection from referees. And it's not that I think Bukayo Saka is so special that he should be protected uh, more than anybody else. Right, I, I do think that. For okay, <laughs> but what I mean is that when he is fouled, I think he should get free kicks. The way yeah, that, that other seems players. like a reasonable point to make. I, I, I don't think that's you know an outrageous thing to expect that when a player is fouled, he gets free kicks. But I think that referees don't give Bakayo Saka enough free kicks. He was booked for diving last week, was it? Mm. He was, uh, there was one in midweek actually in the Europa League where he went through and he was like literally just tripped up and the referee played on. And, and last season in particular, I thought that he was getting the kind of physical treatment that comes from players knowing that they can go through the back of him as Lodi did in the first minute. That's a yellow card. That is a yellow card, and there's no reason why that shouldn't be given a yellow card, even if it's the first minute of the game. This sort of convention that referees have, you know, to go... You get a free well, hit. Yeah, it's, it's very early. I'm not going to book him for that. You know, I might might have a word with him, but I think, that's a, I think that's a yellow card offense. And I think if a referee gives a yellow card for that in the first minute, it sets the tone for the way you have to play against Bakayo Saka. You've got to be, oh, I don't know, this is a bit crazy, but, you know, maybe honest, maybe a bit fair, maybe actually good at your job as a defender. Whereas when the referee lets that go, it tells the other defenders that they can just do what they want because they know, like, oh, well, he's gotten away with one, so I'll get away with one. And the next guy will get away with one. Mm. And a lot of the fouls that Bakayo Saka receives are dangerous fouls because he's so good and so strong at receiving the ball that players come through the back of him. It studs on the back of the ankle. It's trips. It's, you know, uh, it's physical uh, kicks from behind, which can be very damaging. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think we're lucky to have got this far without Bakayo Saka having suffered a, a relatively serious injury of some kind simply because of the physical treatment that he gets. And this is an ongoing issue for me. Anyway, it's an ongoing issue where he does not get the required protection. The referees are there to uphold the laws of the game for the game itself, but also for the protection of the players. And he doesn't get it. And it's fucking annoying now. And that's all I have to say on that. 
You know, I agree. And I think that it seems to me that referees and officials by and large regard Saka with a bit of scepticism. You know, like they, I, I think there's a sort of tendency to think that he might go to ground easy, which <sighs> I have to be honest, doesn't sit right with my evaluation of the player at all. Especially um, when there are other players who definitely do that and get the kind of generosity from officials that Saka doesn't. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? I yeah, do yeah, think yeah, no, I think you're right. There seems to be a bit of a discourse that he might be a guy who maybe does go down and maybe, you know, that it does look like referees kind of second guess some of the challenges that you mm. see on Saka. And it's interesting, isn't it? We've spent a lot of time and I think as a fan base, we spent a lot of time dissecting and debating, you know, is he being overplayed? Is there a risk of fatigue? I think the real danger has always been these kinds of challenges that he faces. And ultimately, it's one of those, I think, yeah. that's put him out of action. Um, hopefully not for long. You know, Arsenal hope that this is a kick and not serious. I believe he was being assessed today. Um so fingers crossed for good news on that. Yeah. Uh, that's all we can say. But yeah, I, I do think he needs more protection. And I have to say, I was in the press conference afterwards and James Benj um, asked Mikel Arteta about that and said, you know, do you think he gets enough protection from referees and from officials? And Arteta just said, that's a question for them. And mm. I can understand why he said that. I mean, to be honest, that's what he answers a lot of questions with. He's, he's quite reticent to talk on a, a number of subjects at the present point in time. Um, but I, I, as a fan, kind of want him to come out and bat for Saka a bit more in that situation. Yes, I would too. And I'm not being hugely critical of Mikel Arteta here. And like you, I understand why he doesn't necessarily want to make an issue out of it. But no. I think I think he's very... He's very interested in kind of the psychology of it. You know, I think he doesn't want Saka to feel sorry for himself or play with fear or, and, you know, he wants him to be, embrace the physical aspects of the game. And, you know, I think those comments about playing 70 games, they're all about the psychological dimension. But I think we're at a point where something needs to be said about some of the fouls that are going not even unpunished, but not suitably punished on Saka. Mm. Yeah, look, unfortunately, it's a fact of life, the, something that we're going to have to live with now, but maybe it is something that, um, you know, on the pitch, perhaps, we could make the referee more aware of, uh, you know, like they can't be unaware of this happening to Saka, right? Um whether it's something the manager uh, manager can address or maybe it's something that, you know, during a game, the captain or someone like Granit Xhaka makes the referee a bit more aware of it. Um, I don't it's think so it's tricky though, isn't it? Because yeah. the more noise we make, the more fuss we kick up, and maybe this is in Arteta's thinking, the more it might have yeah. kind of well, in, yeah. inverse effect of the intention. Yeah, you know what these referees are like. but um, Sure. Look, like you say, hopefully he's not um, not too badly injured, and um, you know he's good for for Chelsea at the weekend. I think you can safely uh, rest him in midweek for FC Zurich. Um, please, please. please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, first half. I suppose the only other thing we should talk about is the the fact that Ben White 
made a, a really great block after a, a mistake at the back uh, from Gabriel gave a chance to like the last person I wanted to see uh, the ball being presented to is Jesse Lingard but Ben White made a, a very very good block um, and maybe that just sort of contributed to the halftime anxiety a little bit you know the fact that when it's only a one goal lead something silly can get the opposition back into the into the game yeah and and I do think that the Saka injury, I mean, to be fair, it, you know, Saliba makes a good block at the near post as well just before that. But I think um, the Saka injury contributed to a slight, uh, what's the word? Just Deflation? Forrest came back into the game a little bit, um, having it been very one-sided. And Arsenal, there was a bit of a funk, I think, after Saka went off. Uh, and, and, and I think with the crowd as well, you know, there was, again, that slight anxiety which we haven't seen a great deal or heard a great deal of at the Emirates Stadium this season mm. so that last 10-15 minutes of the first half Arsenal were less dominant looked a little bit more vulnerable and that was a, a big error from Gabriel and a brilliant brilliant block from Ben White but second half second well, our half our man Reese, our man Reese Nelson as we predicted confidently at the break yeah. to each other on t- anyway um, look the, the first the second goal I think is a very very pleasing goal to watch Mm-hmm. Um, Ramsdale bowls it out to Thomas Partey, who takes it on. Granit Xhaka, how many times do I have to say that the opposition are going to have to start paying attention to the way he makes runs? I mean, I, I hope they don't, ever, because the quality of the run that he makes there is really, really good. Um, ball comes First back. First touch is really good yeah. as well to receive it on the run. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, that, that aspect of his game is as good as it ever has been at Arsenal. You know, sometimes a clumsy touch from Granit Xhaka has resulted in danger or, you know, a moment where he picks up a booking or a uh, maybe a red card or something. But um, it sticks to him like glue at the moment. But, you know, a great run, plays it to Jesus, Jesus to Nelson. The drop of the shoulder to put the defender on his arse is, is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, first shot saved. Whether it's kind or not, I don't think it really matters. He's there to whack home and, and to score. I think it's his first Premier League goal since he scored in that. Remember the 2-1 win over Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah empty stadium. Yeah. I, was, well, I, I was there, of course. But, yeah, of course. Uh, was one of the very, very, very few. And actually, I think it is a nice take. You know, I know the first shot is saved, but there's a couple of men back on the line and he finds that top corner with his left foot. Um it's a really lovely goal. I think we spoke after the Southampton game, the goal we scored, it was Ramsdale into Partey. I mean, he is just such a gift to be able to mm. chuck the ball out. And his his forward passing, progressive passing on the day was really excellent. Um, and that was a great example. And And Nelson, I mean, you couldn't help but be delighted for him because he's an Arsenal boy, you know, been with the club such a long time. And, it must have been, you know, I had a chat with uh, Frimpy, Frimmy, you know, Frimpon, the oh, Arsenal yeah, social yeah, media yeah. guy at yeah. halftime. I saw him at halftime and he said, I, I just hope something comes off for Reese because if just, you know, if one or two things come off for him, it would really improve his confidence. And he got that moment then and we saw the dramatic effect it had on his game. Yeah. And look, the, the, the third goal, he's involved in that at the start because Forrest are attacking and ball drops 
And it's a nice touch from him, you know, to to get it under control just outside our box and, and to get the move going. Yeah, it's really nice touch. Yeah, you know. Um, and from there, Xhaka, quick feed again to Martinelli. And then between Gabriel Jesus and Martin Odegaard, the sort of quick feed in the in the penalty box. Um, I think the, the cross from Jesus is brilliant. I think it's mm. really, really good. Um, I think... I don't know if he sees him, but he just puts it into the right kind of area, doesn't he? Yeah, it's really good play. I mean, there's a moment where Odegaard almost loses it, but his close control in the penalty box yeah. you know, is, is outstanding. And then nice little cross from Jesus. I'm sure we'll have a discussion about his contribution on the day, but good run from Nelson and a, a nice, neat finish into the far corner. And yeah, just a great moment. I and mean, he runs over to the crowd and arms outstretched. Soaks it all in. I mean, his only goal for the club prior, as we said, had been in an empty stadium. So for him to score a double in front of 60,000 Arsenal fans, Mm. it must have been a terrific feeling. And I I really got the sense that the players and the staff were just absolutely delighted for him. It is, you know, it's a a nice little reminder, right, that the things we think we know about football, which may indeed be true – you know, it's still a game that can surprise you and a hero can emerge from somewhere that nobody really expects. And mm-hmm. the circumstances, you know, I think we, we had a chat about Reese Nelson on the podcast, maybe around the end of the transfer window going like, well, wh- what's going to happen here? He's not going to play. You know, he didn't, he got injured, so he didn't go out on loan. Um, you're going, has he missed his opportunity? Is his career stagnating and I think it has you know when you look at the likes of Saka Smith Rowe I know he's out injured Eddie Nketiah um, Joe Willock even though he's not here anymore you know the contemporaries that were you know in his group at Hayland in that sort of age bracket the guys that he was breaking through with have all developed in their careers whether it's at Arsenal or elsewhere you have developed in a in a pretty positive way you know whereas mm. he for whatever reason, things haven't gone his way. Um, you know, there was the the loan to, to Feyenoord where he played in the second half of the season. There was the previous season, though, where he didn't go out on loan. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if he, you know, if he hadn't got injured, he'd be playing somewhere else right mm-hmm. now and wouldn't be here to, to have that moment and to score those goals and to make that contribution for, you know, the club that he's, he's grown up at. And, you know, whatever his future holds, and I don't know, it's impossible to say one way or the other. I mean, I, I think I know, but, you know, you, you just can't be sure. You can't take what he did on Sunday away from him and the contribution he made with those two goals – and with, you know, in inverted commas, an assist <laughs> for Thomas Partey, it, it really is brilliant for him, you know, and whether it sparks him into life again, I, I don't quite know, but it's just nice to see. It's a nice story. And that's kind of all you need to, all, all you need for it to be right now, you know? I, I completely agree. I mean, we can and probably will talk about, you know, his future. And I think we might have questions along those lines, yeah. but it is worth just enjoying this for what it is, you know, an Arsenal Academy kid getting this moment, this day in front of this crowd. Um, it's fantastic in its own right. And it must have been strange for Reese Nelson because, you know, he he made his Premier League first start in 
So five seasons ago, really. Mm. Um, I think he was a 17-year-old at the time. He's 22, be 23 before Christmas. And I think Emil Smith-Rowe is about six, seven months younger than him. Bukhari Saka about 18 months. And he's watched these guys you know, effectively supersede him, go on and, and mm. make a bigger impact in the Arsenal first team than he's ever managed to do. And he was once the absolute leading light of the academy and not just the academy, but the England youth setup. I mean, Steve Cooper had Reese Nelson in the England under 17s. He was the star of that team. Um, and he's not, it's not quite translated for mm. him. Jaden Sancho was his you know, best, best mate, mate yeah. growing up and, you know, they played together, England youth level, and Sancho's what gone to United for the best part of a hundred million. Um, and Nelson has just struggled to to find that groove and that consistency and and that time without injury. But yeah, there were some. You know, this summer it really did look from the outside as if he might be done at Arsenal. But from everything I hear, Arteta's faith in his talent has been quite consistent. What there's not always been opportunities though, um, but I guess football can surprise you, we, and we shouldn't be too surprised. You think back to last season, I'd think probably many of us would have said Mohamed El Neni and Eddie Nketiah were dead, dead buried at Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. The way the end of the season pans out, they get chances, they get new contracts. Um, I think Nelson's contract might well be up at the end of this season. I can't be 100% sure about that, but I think that may be the case. I think so, yeah. So who knows what the future holds for him, but this was a great day. And I guess Arsenal, <laughs> you know, it's that thing you, you find a player a little bit. I mean, Arsenal have got this Europa League tie on Thursday and I think Reese Nelson will feel a lot better going into that game and has really showed himself as an option in that game than he did a couple of days ago. And that's helpful at a time when the squad's quite light, particularly in those wide attacking areas for him to get a bit of confidence and feel a bit better about his game. For sure. It's a really valuable thing. It can only be a positive thing, you know. Yeah. It can yeah. only be a positive thing. You know, what the long-term effect of it is, we'll have to just wait and see. And I think it's way too early to start talking about, you know, contracts or, you know, anything like that. Um, but Arteta's talked about him. When he took over, he was in the team in the first few games. Um, yeah, in his first 11 that he picked, he... Selected him over Pepe on that right wing. So, yeah, I mean, there is there is something there. And clearly there's always been a, a talent there. It's just whether or not you can make the step up and make the breakthrough. And that's, you know, that's the difficult part. And maybe this is a breakthrough moment for East Nelson. You know, maybe it is. But look, you could see how much he loved it. You could see how much he enjoyed it. And, um, you know, fair play to him. It's, um, it's brilliant and unexpected. You know, sometimes that aspect of football where... You know, you go, well, who's going to get us a goal? Is Gabriel Jesus going to score today? Um, no, it's going to be Reese Nelson who'll score two goals. I thought it was quite funny, though. Um, I did see the official um, fantasy football account ask, who were the two people who captained Reese Nelson today? <laughs> you captained them. This is the official one, and one of them is uh, at Giant Cal Gunner, 
who tweeted at 3.45 p.m. He said, I had Reese Nelson as my FPL captain today, honest. Um, he said, actually hoping Arsblog did this, expecting to get zero points because I'm trying to get as few points as possible in our in our league. I mean, I didn't even pick Reese Nelson. I, I just pick injured players all the time. But, you know, making Reese Nelson your captain, then he comes on and scores two goals. Fair play. I mean, the other one must have been Reese Nelson, to be honest. Like, I mean, who, you know, who would have picked him? Fair play to Giant Cal Gunner for getting that right. But, yeah. Um, yeah, great moment. And I love that, you know, image of him thumping the badge and taking yeah. the moment in. Um, and credit to the manager. I mean, you do have to give credit to the manager. It's not a sub, I think, that many of us would have necessarily called or made. And, you know, mm. he absolutely got it right. And he's looking at these players every day. And maybe he saw something just this week in Nelson, a little bit of extra sharpness, a little bit of extra motivation. It paid off big yeah. time. Yeah, and like, you know, the uh, the kerfuffle over Tommy Asu versus Tierney in the starting lineup, I don't recall seeing too many people after the game saying you got that one wrong. I think I think Tommy Asu had a really good game. I, I, Me too. I he was, Me too. And he played the role in, a, in that very inverted way. I mean, I think he was popping up in central midfield areas, maybe more so than we've ever seen. Um, and... I thought defensively he was really strong in terms of stopping counterattacks. Yeah. And, and actually, as much as we're talking about the goals and we're going to get excited about the attacking play, there were those great moments where, you know, the Forest forwards went through and our defenders just absolutely bodied them off the ball. There the, was a great Ben White the one ben in the first White half. The Ben White fucking shoulder charge in the first half was yeah. just glorious, yeah. I um, thought Saliba as well, Saliba where too. there were a couple of balls over the top where he was in a bit of a foot race and, and just just was so in control of those situations. Um, yeah. It was very reassuring, you know. I agree. And I thought Tommy Asu's one-to-one defending was, was excellent as well. So, yeah, he was, uh, you know, we. I, I think Forrest would probably feel like their forwards were bullied a little bit too easily, but I was very glad to see our defenders being the ones doing the bullying. The trademark Thomas Party goal, can we call it that now at this point? That's what he does. I believe is that's what the what he does. commentary oh, feed said as he put that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> After 200 shots, which went over the bar, yeah. that's what he does uh, now. How to show you don't watch Arsenal every week. <laughs> I thought it was very funny that later in the match, he put one properly into sort of row Z of the lower tier and the Arsenal fans, there was a big cheer of recognition of like, he's, he's back. Yeah, I believe it um, landed in the uh, the beer garden in the in the Tarlington actually. Um, <laughs> but, but what a goal this one was. Unbelievable. I mean, it's very just so similar to the one against Spurs, except I think he's more on the run um, with this one. Ball back from Reese Nelson. When I said assist in inverted commas earlier, I mean, it is obviously an assist, but it's one of those where, you know, the, the, the quality of the goal is in the strike rather than the the pass, which is taking nothing away from Reese Nelson's statistics or anything like that, but... It's a nice set, though. And actually, I'm just watching the build-up. It's a great example of where Tomiyasu was playing. He he is stood in the centre circle uh, yeah. in the build-up. And you know the Martinelli goal is a 1-2. Uh, this is also a 1-2. Sa- uh, Partey gets it from, uh, I think it's Jesus, literally by the centre circle, spreads it wide to Nelson, jogs about 30 yards forward and sticks it in the top corner from Nelson's pass back. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's an amazing finish. When you see the angle from from behind, 
There's a great camera angle. I mean, the one from behind where it, it literally starts about three or four feet outside the post and then curls back in. The goalkeeper, like, I mean, the goalkeeper, when you look at where he's set, um, he's quite close to that post, you know? It's not as if he's got, uh, there's a great big hole there for Partey to, to shoot the ball into. So, Well, interesting stat. I don't know if you've seen this, but Dean Henderson and Nottingham Forest have conceded, this was the 11th goal, I believe, they've conceded from a shot from outside the box. It's the highest total in the league. Um, and that is a lot, 11. So I don't know, you know, the analysts look at every detail. I do wonder if maybe there was a conversation of this guy does seem to struggle a bit with some of these shots from range. But maybe. I don't know a goalkeeper who could have kept that one out, to be fair. It was beautiful. No, exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, they may have a problem in general, but I don't know that you could blame a goalkeeper for for that one. Um, we'll touch very briefly on Gabriel Jesus because I think we'll save some discussion for the second half. But he should have scored. He had a, a great chance put through by Odegaard, put it a little bit close to... The uh, the goalkeeper who made a save, there was one mm-hmm. where I think he took a touch and was crowded out the near post. There was the other one when Ben White gently nodded one back to the back post. I thought, like, on the live blog, I was watching it, and as the ball was floating towards the back post, I was already, I had got G-O-O-O uh, written on the live blog. I was about, and I was looking at it going, what? How did, how did that not go in? Mm. Um... You know, so un- unfortunate for him in the sense that, you know, you feel like a goal would loosen the shackles, uh, a bit of the pressure on him in terms of his finishing. But overall, I think his his contribution on the day, the way that he played, what he brings to the team is still is still so positive. Yeah, I thought that one where he went through in the left channel, um, he, he sh- I think he should have produced a better finish there. It's quite close to Henderson, the strike that he yeah. actually uh, provides. It's from that sort of classic Thierry Henry position. He doesn't really hit either corner. I think maybe if it had been nil-nil and we'd absolutely needed a goal, maybe there is an extra 10%. He could have you know, chucked himself at that Ben White one. Um mm. I don't want him to do that and clatter into the post and break a leg You know, when we're four or five nil up, whatever it was at that particular point in time. But I just think his overall contribution is fantastic. And um, I hope that it doesn't get to him. I hope he's not worrying too much about it. He didn't seem to be. He spoke to the media in Eindhoven uh, before the game. Mm. And he seemed very relaxed, very confident. He said, I've been through, you know, runs like this and worse than this. And I will again. That's part of the game. It's part of football. Um, the important thing is the team found their finishing touch again in this match. Uh, And we needed to, I think, you know, we hadn't scored enough goals to reflect the dominance or the chances we'd created in some of our previous games. That changed against Forest. And of course you want your centre forward to be scoring goals, but I do think a mark of a very good side is getting goals from from all areas. Yeah. I mean, five goals without your centre forward scoring and, you know, he did have chances. It's no bad thing. It's the the games like last week at Southampton where maybe we don't have the chances coming from elsewhere where the the importance of the Jesus chances are are heightened, you know. Um, We'll we'll talk more about him in part two. Martin Odegaard um, completed the route, if you want to call it that, with a really lovely goal, such quick feet. 
and the kind of finish that uh, I think he's capable of a lot more. Sometimes I feel like he he wants to put a bit too much control um, on some of his finishes where you know he's got the ability to put his foot through it and still get it on target and and uh, and apply the finish as he did there. I mean, what a brilliant finish. I love this goal. It, it sort of looked like it, it, it flew so expertly into the top corner. I kind of wondered, like, did it take a nick on the way through? There were so many bodies, but it's just brilliantly placed. And he, he gets precision, but he gets power too. Right um, off the laces, I think. Yeah. I think... Another thing about Jesus and something that was really evident in this game is the growing relationship between Odegaard and Jesus. Mm. I think they they combined. We spoke about you know Nelson's second goal really well there, but quite several times in this game, you know they're two very intelligent footballers, and I think they're learning about each other's game and a, a real uh, connection on the pitch is mm. building there. I mean, Odegaard may well feel he should have about three or four more assists this season. You know, I had, think had so. Jesus is finishing, yeah maybe been at, at the level he might hope for. Um, but this was a lovely goal. And actually, just watching the build-up again, speak about Reese Nelson and confidence flowing back into a player. Early in the move, there's a, a Kieran Tierney kind of 40, 50-yard crossfield ball and Nelson just cushions a pass back first yeah, time yeah, yeah. on the volley. You know, that's the kind of thing that when you've scored two goals in a game and you're flying, you can do easily. I'm not sure he would have done that five minutes after coming on and that's the benefit of, of confidence yeah yeah fair enough and also the uh, the sound of the ball hitting the back of the net from the Odegaard uh, one when you watch it on t- is yeah. beautiful sound and 5-0 is a really nice scoreline like 4-0 is great 4-0 is great but 5 is really emphatic 5 really feels like a a statement result on a weekend where a lot of teams uh, toiled or dropped points Arsenal smashed Forest 5-0. I mean, you know, the rest of the league, I think whoever the opponent may be, will be sitting up and taking notice of that result. I I think you're right, you know. I think you're right, yeah, because, look, if there was some anxiety among Arsenal fans about this game and you know afterwards people go well you know of course you're you're top of the league and you're playing the team that's bottom of the league that's what you should do but you know we know football is not like that and we know that over the last couple of weeks performances haven't quite been at the level where we would like them and the manager would like them and the players would like them right we we all understand that and you go through periods like that in a season but you then have to come back and show and I think Arteta said something about that afterwards didn't he? he said big teams Big teams have got to respond, something like that, he said. Um, And he put it up to them before the game, and they delivered. And, you know, uh, can I just give a quick shout-out here to, um, on the Discord, Deadfish and Mr. Snrub, uh, who have both given me a a chapeau, James, because I predicted 13 points from 15. Yes, you did. I think I went 11 or, or I was very negative yeah. in my predictions. Um, so, yeah, the one I, the, the switcheroo was, I think I predicted a draw with Liverpool and a win over Southampton where it was the other way around. Um, but that felt, you know, that was a bold prediction at the start of October. Um, I, I guess it was, but you know, it, it, it um, I think what you have to acknowledge is that we are where we are, you know, on merit, not by accident. Um, October was 
hectic. Nine games from the 1st of October to the 30th of October. A number of difficult away trips. And in Premier League, we've got 13 points from 15. From nine games, we won seven, lost one, and drew one. I mean, as much as we develop, I think that this is where the Jonathan Liu article comes in again. You know, if you said to any group of fans, yeah, in nine games, you're going to win seven, lose one, and draw one, they go, that's fucking, yeah, that's pretty good. Don't like losing, but, you know, that's good. That would fill me with confidence. Is when we lost to PSV, it's like, oh, is, is, it, is it all going to collapse right now? Is, is that it? Is the illusion over? Is the party over? You know? And yeah. I think that I understand why that's kind of ingrained in us. But I think when you get to the end of this little run, I know it's not the end of the run because we've got a game on uh, – a game on Thursday, another game Sunday, etc. November's et not much easier. No. <laughs> no, it's not much easier. But like people, people were using October as a as a marker. You know, not just Arsenal people, not just us as fans, but I think externally, you know, after we'd made that really good start to the season, people were saying, "Well, we'll find out about this Arsenal team in October. We'll find out what they're really made of." You know, when they've got a North London derby, when they've got um, Liverpool when they've got to go away in Norway, then go away in the Premier League and then go away to Southampton, you know, all of these kind of things. This is where, this is when we'll really find out about Arsenal. Well, they found out. Yeah, we have. I, 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 I think Arsenal fans should be incredibly proud of the team's performance so yeah. far this season. They have exceeded all expectations. They've played some excellent football. The results have been... Uh, outstanding uh, I think it's more than any of us hoped for realistically and so yeah it's uh, it's fantastic to see and you know there's a couple of weeks few weeks now until we break for the World Cup let's hope Arsenal can maintain that momentum until that time but thus far yeah I really don't think we could have asked for any more than no. what we've got no. um, and credit to the players Credit to the manager. Uh, I heard a few bits and pieces that he was he was in all or nothing, inspiring team talk uh, form oh, for yeah? this Forest game, right? Uh, and the players responded. And what did he do? Did he like dress up as Robin Hood and start calling them names? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. Um, I'm sure there were cartoons involved. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? But uh, they were pretty fired up for this one because I think it really stung them last season when they had those periods where they would lose one and it would kind of endure and it would become two and become three. And they all know that's if they want to get where they want to go, that's not viable. Mm. You know, it's not something they can continue to do. And uh, yeah, they bounce back in a big, big, big way. And it's kind of everything we hope for from this game. You know, it, it really yeah. restores a lot of belief and confidence for the players, for the fans, and sets up a really interesting uh, couple of games this week. I mean, you know, you say if you'd say to a fan, oh, you play eight games and or, or win eight and lose one or whatever it might be, if, especially if you added, and that one is a Europa League group stage game that you don't necessarily need to win. It just leaves you needing a win against Zurich to top the group. You know, yeah. we'd all take that deal and we can go and do that on Thursday, hopefully, and then a fascinating game at Chelsea next weekend. 
Um, mm. And we go there with confidence and, and belief, and it's very exciting. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. And we're top of the table, and we deserve to be there. And like you say, I think uh, you know fans should be proud of the team and enjoy what we're doing right now because – a lot of it is just so good and so enjoyable and so much fun in terms of uh, the kind of football we're playing. So um, I think that very nicely brings us to the end of, of part one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have other discussions, other things to talk about. Um, you know, after celebrating all that, we will then play out the anxieties of the entire fan base in the questions in part. <laughs> in part and two. now, neuroticism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll take a short break here and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. You don't have to pay $20 a month as well to send us the questions, just so you know. Um, you can also send us... <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not, Not yet. yet. Wait till Elon Musk buys Arsblog. <laughs> no chance. Um, you can also send us questions on the Discord, which you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Just a couple of quick Reese Nelson ones here to kick off on the discord dale thick 
or da, da, uh, yeah, Dale Thick 16. Dalai Thick? I don't know how to pronounce that. And he, say, he says, do you think Arteta had words with Reese at half time? I thought his play in the first half was very cautious. He spent a lot of time quite wide and passed it backwards pretty much every time he received it. In the second half, he was cutting in more and getting into the danger areas. Um, and Ratan Postuala says, good evening, gents. I was initially frustrated that Nelson chose to play it safe each time he got the ball. But in hindsight, I feel he was rightly instructed to get into the game without making mistakes that might dent his confidence what are your thoughts on that at the risk of repeating myself i i think Frimmy probably called it right i think he just needed something to come off for him and he found a second gear uh, maybe that was the instruction but i suspect it was just as likely the case of a player who maybe isn't feeling on top of the world isn't feeling you know uh, absolutely his best and is uh finding their way into the game and, and being a bit more cautious. Mm. I think that, to be honest, I think that characterises his time in the Arsenal first team a little bit more generally. You know, if I think about the kind of player he was at academy level, played with real flair and excitement and a, an element of showmanship in his game. And then you look at his performances in the Arsenal first team, a good deal of those early ones, let's remember, came as a wing-back uh, in, uh, you know, the Europa League. Mm. And I think generally he has sort of played it safe. And even in those early Arteta games, you know, why was he starting over Pepe? Well, he hugged the line, he played the tactical role. But this is a guy with, with massive individual talent. And I think once he got that first goal, we began to see him express that a bit more. And I think although Arteta has this reputation as a, disciplinarian and it's all about the system mm. there is room for individual expression within that i mean look at a player like gabriel martinelli or bukai saka you know gabriel jesus yeah exactly individual skills a huge part of it so it's about striking that balance um i think probably confidence was the main factor in that change what do you think yeah maybe i think you know the point about just feeling his way into the game a little bit is probably right you know and with hindsight you know when I said to you I'm not really feeling Reese Nelson it was because I think there's a bit of a difference between the way Bakayo Saka plays as a, a left-footed player on the right versus Reese Nelson he seemed to be a bit more to me he seemed to be a bit more infield didn't look to go outside the man but I guess if he comes on tries to beat the man on the outside a couple of times you know messes that up does it affect his confidence is that you know, is that the instruction that he got, you know, is basically, look, get yourself into the game, get to the pace of the game. This is his first Premier League appearance in what, uh, 17, well, I don't know, uh, 15 months there, thereabouts. He played, the last time he played was that night at Brentford on the opening wow. day of last season. Um, so, you know, if there was a measure of caution to his game, maybe that was sensible you know, and once he's up to the speed, once he's feeling a little confident, gets a few touches, you know, is is sort of scoping out his opponent a little bit here and there, then he did have the opportunity to, um, you know, to express himself a bit. I don't think he, he necessarily did. Um, I know he scored like two goals, but it wasn't, you know, that he did what Saka does. You know, when Saka picks up the ball and he'll take a couple of men on, he'll drive inside and, and make something happen. He was more on the end of stuff than being a facsimile of Saka. But, 
you know, maybe that's just what we needed for a game like this because Forrest were, were quite open uh, at the back and we made them pay for it. Right. Well, let's do the the other Reese Nelson question. Elmo Sled on the Discord said, very goodly morning or evening as it turns out. I'm here to shamelessly overreact to Reese Nelson's performance. <laughs> Could this be something of a turning point? Uh, and if Emil Smith-Rowe returns in December as predicted, does this change our approach to the January window at all? Um, look, I don't want to downplay anything that takes away from what Reese Nelson did yesterday. But the old one swallow doesn't make a summer and all that, you know, springs to mind a little bit. It would be great if he was, you know, if this was, like I said in the in the first part, if this was kind of a breakthrough for him and if, you know, he was able to put in and uh, make the kind of contributions on a consistent basis that would make you think about, you know, what his future might hold at Arsenal. I just feel like it's too early to to be in any way confident that you can say something that makes sense if you know because it is one game it is his first appearance in in a long time he's come in and done something exceptional but the question is can he do that more regularly with you would imagine still limited playing time you know um I would love to see him get his career back on track, whether it's at Arsenal or not. I just can't say. You know, it's it's impossible to say after one performance and one appearance that, yes, we should give him a new contract. Yes, we should, you know, eschew any uh, January signing or anything like that. I don't think you can say that. I think you have to keep all your options open. I think Arsenal would be foolish not to be thinking about the January transfer window in a very significant way. Um, but if Reese Nelson can contribute between now and the end of the season and add to a deep squad, then, then great. But beyond that, I just can't say because it's, you know, the sample size is too small. No, I, I think what's nice for Nelson, I mean, obviously we all hope Bukhara Saka's back in time to face Chelsea at the weekend, but even so, there are a couple of games coming up where you'd think he might have an opportunity to play. There's Zurich on Thursday in the Europa League mm. and then the following week there's Brighton in the Carabao Cup um, and you know having performed in this way against uh, Forrest mm. he's, got, he's got to have a very good chance of starting those matches and they provide an opportunity for him to really build some momentum you know it's unusual for a, a squad player to get that many minutes in the space of a couple of weeks so yeah I hope he can build on this and go from strength to strength of course, it's too early to talk about resurrecting his Arsenal career, but you know there are cases of players who do take a little bit longer to mm. break through, and I think he'll probably be looking at Eddie as um, an inspiration. I, I think it was a funny week to talk about Eddie in that regard because I know a lot of people are really disappointed with his performance in Holland, but you know the way in which he came from seemingly nowhere to win an Arsenal contract uh, will serve as uh, provide some hope for Nelson yeah, yeah. because they're kind of of the same generation um, but I don't think that this should dramatically impact Arsenal's transfer plans for the window in any way and I think what Arsenal are doing what Mikel Arteta is doing, what this team is doing warrants, deserves mm. support and backing 
in the market. Arsenal have got themselves into a fantastic position. This is a time to push on and improve the squad, Yeah, I think. I think so. I did like this from QuickThinks underscore all thoughts uh, on Twitter. Is that QuickThinks underscore AT? You said, you know, is Reese Nelson like a new signing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he might well be. He might well be. And if he can play a role, um, all well and good. Um, is it my question? I think it might be. I think it is. Okay. There were some questions about Gabriel Jesus in the sense that, you know, he didn't score and he's now gone X amount of games without scoring. But I think we've sort of talked about that in, in general terms anyway. Um, but there are a couple here, if I can find them. Um, Lombardo, there are a couple. I can't find the other one. Um, but I did notice a couple of people ask this. Lombardo says... Uh, goodly morning, uh, goodly evening. Uh, Jesus got angry with Tommy Asu two or three times for not playing the pass he wanted. Jesus is normally more motivational and not quick to have a go at players. Do you feel this is down to Tommy Asu not playing the same or the role the same way as Zinchenko, or is Jesus just frustrated at the lack of goals? And there are a couple of questions like that. So I apologize. There was somebody else who asked a very similar question, and I can't find it. Um, so yeah. Um. I think there is probably just a bit of frustration just creeping into the fringes of his game. I mean, I think had he got a couple of goals under his belt or even a goal, he probably would have come off in this match. Mm. And it felt to me quite pointed that he stayed on, almost as if yeah. they were looking to get him that goal. You could almost see it from some of his teammates, the way they were trying to tee him up for a chance. They took and Saliba actually, off, didn't they, with the yellow card in mind? Yeah, I mean, this was a game maybe more so than any other this season where... Arteta used that second half and used his five subs to rest players. Mm. Um, guys like Saliba and Shaka, who ordinarily would stay on the pitch, came off. White came off as well. Um, and the fact Jesus was left on, I think, is telling. But crucially, he hasn't picked up that yellow card as yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we were worried, weren't we, about him missing one of these big, big games with the suspension. But he's played Spurs, he's played uh, Liverpool and it looks like he's going to play Chelsea now which is great he makes this team so much better, I know we have talked about this already but you know, was was it last season Mikel Arteta said to win this league or to be competitive in this league you need to score 90 goals? Something like that yeah and I think Arsenal are on pace for that, I mean I doubt they'll do it but so far that is the rate at which they're scoring goals and that's a dramatic transformation and I think so much of it is down to Jesus mm. and what he provides. Only City have scored more goals than Arsenal in the Premier League. Yeah, our goal difference looks very, very healthy at this point in time. And <laughs> this time last year, our goal difference was, were we still trying to figure out the the positive? Maybe. It's possible because we had such a bad start, of course. Um, our goal I, difference I, this time last season, after match week 14, was... Minus three, and our goal difference now is plus nineteen. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> that tells you a lot. That tells you a lot, and I think he's been a huge part of that. I do think there's a bit of frustration there, um, just because he wants to score goals. You know, he wants to be the match winner. He wants to take that responsibility on, and he probably knows he should have had a couple in this run. Um, 
But this happens to all strikers, you know, apart from the freaks like Haaland. You go through runs where you score goals and runs where you don't. And I, I, I don't doubt that if he stays fit, isn't suspended, chances will come and he will score goals in this team. I don't read anything in particular into, you know, his interaction with Tomiyasu on the field. I think he's just a man who's hungry and determined mm. and... And wants to score goals. He definitely, it feels like he needs one now. You know, there's a little bit of a weight uh, on him because of the the bit of a drought that he's going through. But like the the contribution, the way he impacts the team as a whole, you know, did he get two assists yesterday? Yeah, I think so. You know, so if he's, even though he's not scoring, his goal involvements are, are still really high. And he's just the kind of player who gives the opposition defenders a problem that we weren't able to cause teams last season for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. we the reason we can play as high up the pitch as we do these days is a lot of it is down to him or he plays a very big part in that, you know? So I don't think you can overlook that. You know, of course, I want him to score. I think he should do better with some of the chances that he gets. But, you know, there's still no real worry in my part that this is this is a, a significant problem. And like you pointed out, we scored five yesterday without him getting a goal. And that tells you that this is a this is a team that is capable of scoring um, and one that isn't necessarily reliant on on simply one player. Yeah, and listen, I'm, I'm not necessarily comparing them as players, but Arsenal are trying to emulate Liverpool, really, in terms of building a team that can challenge Manchester City. And there was a period of time when Liverpool had Roberto Firmino leading the line um, and he wasn't exactly a prolific goal scorer, but he did so much other stuff that facilitated Salah and Mane and made their team really function and click. And Jesus, his all-round game is just superb. I think he's been an excellent addition. I would have liked to have seen him score a couple more goals. Don't get me wrong, but um, they'll come they'll come and, and yeah. to be fair like I I think if we go back to the start of the season I don't think any of us were sat here predicting he's going to score 30 goals I think we always knew this was a guy who you know probably will get you 15 might get you 20 but it was about mm. the change the dynamism he was going to bring to the attack and whatever he scores this season it's going to be a dramatic improvement on the strikers that we had last year um, just finally on this, the Chief, who's at Macho underscore Grande one, he says, would you start Jesus against Zurich on Thursday, nip the goal drought thing in the bud? Or are we in danger of doing a Ben White versus Brentford and creating a problem that doesn't really exist? Yeah, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I definitely would not. Yeah. <laughs> definitely would not. Save, I, he's saving know, his goals for Chelsea, that's it. I can see him getting on. Um just the way that Arteta has approached the Europa League so far. But I don't think I'd start him if I could possibly avoid it. No. No, look, um, I do feel sometimes the overplaying thing is a bit uh, overplayed, if that makes sense. But I think it's a fan anxiety. I really think much it's more of a, I think about. it is much more of a fan anxiety than, than an internal one for the, yeah. for the players and the manager. Nevertheless, with Chelsea coming up on Sunday... You know, I would keep him very much in reserve um, for that one. And look, if the the game against Zurich requires him, uh, which I hope it doesn't, then fine. But beyond that, um, yeah, I, I, I'd be happier if he uh, was, you know, 
rested for the 90 minutes um, mm. ahead of Chelsea. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, okay, here's a question from Scott Willis. Uh, Statsman, O underscore, that underscore crab. Uh, something I've been struggling with, Scott says, is when to start thinking seriously about a title challenge. My personal metric is when the odds hit 25%, which is a very on-brand thing for Scott to say. <laughs> mm. um, do you guys have a threshold where you're at now this is a thing? Well, I'm not a numbers man, sure. so none of that nor, makes nor any right. sense. Yeah, and, and I'm still furious at Scott's probability trade tables from last season when we had like 80 90% probability to make the top 4 and somehow scuppered it. So So you're saying it's Scott's fault. Basically. I'm I'm blaming Scott entirely right. for that. Yeah. I yeah, I can't figure out like um when the odds are what did he say when the odds are 25%? Yeah, I right. mean I'm sure he has ways of figuring this stuff. He's got out, all but. kinds of fucking like computers whirring away in the basement doing his models and his radars <laughs> and all of it. I don't, but I don't get it. So I don't know when the odds might hit 25%. I mean, here's... Is there a point then for you or a, a, a measure by which you'll think? I have no frame of reference for this. It's not I like don't, we've won a title before in our history. No, I don't mean it like that, but I don't remember ever thinking in the seasons where, you know, we were scrapping with Manchester United, like, are we in a title race or aren't we? Well, that's the, what, that what is the, the sort of tragedy of this, I think. Like, without wishing to bring the mood down, it is quite sobering that Arsenal have had such an extraordinary start. You know, I, th I think I saw Opta saying that no team since Kevin Keegan's Newcastle have started this well and failed to win uh, the Premier League. I don't like that comparison. <laughs> but... Uh, but but what I'm saying is, we should all be here saying, wow, we're the front runners for the league. But because of the behemoth that is Manchester City, mm. we're all kind of shrugging our shoulders a bit about the process. Not all, but most, I think most Arsenal fans are kind of like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think we're winning the league. Yeah, this is kind of know, sad, isn't it? It is a bit sad. You know, and, and that's a discussion we've had before here, isn't it? About the, you know, what constitutes success or what's realistically success for for Arsenal or any other club that isn't Manchester City that doesn't have the unlimited funds gushing through the fucking money rivers of their football club, right? Mm. So I, I, I personally, I can't break it down to like, well, when the odds get to 28.2%, I will start to believe I'm just sort of there at the moment going, well, look, we're not where we are by accident, as I said in, in the first half. We're there on merit. We're playing well. We've got a good team that plays good football, that's got some character, that's got some resilience, that's got some mental strength, that doesn't overly apply the handbrake, et cetera, et cetera. And we've shown on our day that we're pretty much a match for everybody in this league. Um there's some tough tests to come, obviously. The games against Man City will be will be very, very interesting this season. Um, I feel like we're overdue a win against them, to be honest. And my, you know, predicto brain is going, yeah, we're definitely going to win the home game against Man City. Um, but it's, it's just a question of keeping it going 
And look, can you allow yourself to dream? I think you kind of have to. You can be realistic, but still allow yourself to dream a little bit. That after, what, how many games is it? Um, 12 games um, in the Premier League. We're top of the table, 31 points. You know, two points ahead of Man City. But also, what are we? Nine points, eight points ahead of Manchester United, who are in fifth. Um Ten ahead of Chelsea. Ten ahead of Chelsea. Fifteen ahead of Liverpool. Ahead of Liverpool. You know, so those are markers that I think can give you some confidence and assurance. Um, but you know, we know this is going to be a weird season, and I'm sort of, you know, I can't predict what's going to happen after the World Cup in terms of what the impact might be on on. Yeah us or other clubs or anything like that so Liverpool might remember they how might remember they how to play yeah exactly <laughs> they might get some injured players back and and so on so I think you know for now it's just a question of enjoying it are we in a title race I think we are because look where we are in the table still a long way to go in the season of course but like you can definitely say when we're out of a title race right yeah we're, we're not out of it so let's go from there Schrodinger's title race. We're, we're not out of it, but we're not in it. I, 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 for me, I mean, how many games we played? 12. I, mm. I sort of looked at that after the Forest game and I was a little bit disappointed in a way. Well, you were hoping 12. it was 37, were you? Yeah, kind of. Like it, Because I've sort of got the World Cup in mind as like a halfway stage, but actually mm. it, it'll only be 14 league games at that point in time. Uh that's not halfway. That's, you know, what is it? Um, close to a third, uh, really. Don't ask me. Ask Scott. He'd know. Scott would know. Scott's got it's the 14. model for that. It's, it's 14 of 38. There's 24 to go. So another don't, 10. Don't start trying to work it out here. It's just not well, going to work What I'm out. saying is there's another 10 <laughs> league games in the second half of the season. So it's much more weight on the second half than the first. Yeah. Uh, um which is annoying because the first been really fun <laughs> and really good. Well, maybe the second will also be really good and really fun. Yeah. I, listen, I think my personal measure will be if we get to within 10 games of the end of the season, say, so yeah, 28 games, and we're within five points of the leaders, mm-hmm. then I think at that point, anything's possible. Anything is possible. Over the over ten games, okay. But we've only played twelve this season, right? So, yeah, there's a long way to go before I'm looking at that Premier League trophy rather than a place in the top four. But that's just personal. And if you if you're a believer, all power to you at this point in time. Yes, um, enjoy it. Okay, here is uh, a question. A couple of these from the Discord. Um. Genghis Khan said, do you think Tierney's future at Arsenal is coming into serious doubt? Um, Stephen Kelly said, is something strange going on with Tierney? Cedric was subbed on at left back before him. Didge says, Cedric coming on before Tierney at left back was an interesting choice just for match fitness or something more to it. I think Tommy Asu starting ahead of Tierney is much more significant than Cedric coming on before him. I really think that was about fitness for a player who hasn't played a minute, I think, in the Premier League thus far. At, at all. 
right at all and had been on record, I think had spoken publicly, maybe with ESPN, about being a bit disappointed about that. I also saw Cedric after the game um, with his agent and with his family. He had his family there. And and so that made me think, did he know? Do you know what I mean? Like, was this planned that he was likely to get some minutes in this game, maybe with a view to being involved on Thursday? I mean, we had a question from DJC along similar lines saying how much should we worry about Tierney. He was the first Arsenal player down the tunnel at full time yesterday, long before the rest and did not look happy. Mm. Uh, It may be that Cedric's uh, pre-planned introduction, much as it was, you know, not a slight to Tierney, he may not have been thrilled about that. Um, I I would say sort of more aligned with you that the the fact Tommy Asu is starting ahead of him yeah. would be much that- more troubling for him than Cedric coming on when we're 4-0 up and you can make the justification that, look, the game is won and we just throw this guy on, give him a few minutes, we're going to make uh, another couple of defensive changes and, you know, you can shift over to, to le- uh, shift him over to right back and Tierney can come on at, at left back. But, like, mm-hmm. if he's if he's unhappy at the moment... I completely understand that, completely. But this is the way it goes um, at a big club where maybe a manager's got a slightly different idea of what he wants from a player in your position. The other thing that occurred to me, and I could be completely wrong here as well, is the fact that Zinchenko is injured. And Tierney has had an injury record that hasn't stood up to a great deal of scrutiny either. And maybe it is a question of just being a little bit cautious with his left-back options at times. Tierney played on on Thursday against um, PSV, uh, is likely to play again on Thursday against Zurich. It's not that he's getting no football, it's just that in terms of the Premier League, we're in a slightly different uh, position because we don't have Zinchenko. Um and maybe there's an element of protecting tyranny in the decision-making. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think we're in a bit of a rhythm mm-hmm. of, you know, Tierney, you play in Europe and Tommy plays in the Premier League. And you, you look back at the results that we've had, it's kind of worked for Mikel. You know, you can debate individual things, but... Uh, you know, Tierney's been part of clean sheets uh, against Berda Glimt. Uh, we beat Liverpool with Tommy at left back. We kept a clean sheet at Ellen Road, albeit in difficult circumstances. Um, the two defences, Europa League and Premier League, have sort of kind of functioned all right. Um, mm. I, I do think this is a stylistic thing. And if you watched how Tommy Asu played against. Uh, Forest. I mean, Tierney, I thought I was in Holland in the week and he couldn't really have uh, tried to demonstrate his ability to do the inverted thing more. I mean, Mm. he was popping up in really central areas, it seemed to me, much more so, I think, than I've ever seen him do. There's clearly, it's not like he's saying, I can't do it, I won't do it. You know, he's trying to fit the the mould of what Arteta wants from a left-back. Sure. I just think Tommy Asu is 
probably slightly better suited to it at this point in time. Um, and I thought the Forest game was a really good game to demonstrate that. You know, Arteta will feel pretty satisfied about that decision. As for Tierney, I think we've spoken about this before, the kind of character he is, the kind of personality he is, I don't think he'll be satisfied. I think he'll be finding this very frustrating, very difficult. Mm. I think he'll be working his socks off to try and change that hierarchy. Um, and the degree to which he succeeds may ultimately determine his future. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the first time in his career where he hasn't been the obvious first choice yeah. at his club. You know, he was at Celtic, he was at Arsenal, and even when you know he was out injured, I think his position as first choice was even more emphatic because it was clear we didn't have anybody who could sufficiently replace him. Now, Zinchenko's there, Tommy Asu can do it, and he's got a scrap on his hands. So I don't expect Kieran Tierney to take it lying down or anything like that. I think he's going to fight hard for his place and to get his place back. So bring it on. You want a competitive squad? If, you know, if the team isn't winning, if the team is not performing and you're not getting in it, I think you've got much more grounds to, to sort of complain and kick up. But when you're part of a team that's top of the league, um, you know, the, the, the onus is on you then to go and change the manager's mind and uh, in how you play, how you train, and and you make it difficult for him to leave you out. And that's that's it. I think I, I agree. And I think there's actually a really interesting conversation about probably won't get into it in depth now, but about how the evolution of Arteta's Arsenal team has impacted Tierney's role within it. Mm. So if you go back to the beginning, you know we were setting up with three centre-halves and Tierney is that left-sided centre-back in a three and he had a very important role in the team in that shape. Then we changed things and, you know, Tierney was the left-back in a four and he was the fifth lane of the attack and our game, we were being criticised for just slinging crosses into the box. Tierney slinging cross after cross into the penalty area and it, you know, may have had relatively limited success but he was integral to that shape and that system. Mm. And Arteta's team has now evolved again to a very different way of playing with fullbacks like Ben White and Zinchenko and Tommy Asu. And it's slightly less suited to, to Kieran Tierney's strengths. Yeah. Um, but I guess if you had to put your money on a player in the squad who, having been dropped, would fight tooth and nail and, you know, go into every challenge in training trying to win that place back, Kieran Tierney would be really high up that list. I think he will make this a battle for as long as he is an Arsenal player until he gets that place back. So it's going to be a really interesting one and even more interesting when Zinchenko reappears. I mean, we had some questions about him, you know. Uh, is he real? Yeah, Does O'Leary underscore Kieran. <laughs> Smith R. Odegaard said, goodly Halloween, gents. Zinchenko's missed as many games this season as his previous two seasons with Man City. Um, Party has missed Party missed only seven games or so. The whole time he's at Letico, his London colony built on an ancient burial ground. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were a bunch of other questions sort of saying, you know, where is Zinchenko? Uh, I don't know is the answer. And the club don't seem in any hurry to provide uh, any further... Yeah, a couple of weeks him. ago, Mikel Arteta was uh, asked about him, was, you know... There was sort of the, 
oh, he's always in contention, commented at a press <laughs> conference, and everyone's going, oh, Zinchenko could be back this weekend, and there's been no sign of, of Zinchenko bar the... Um, by the sort of photo that they did before the game um, for Pablo Marie. Yeah. Um, and best wishes. He is to alive. Him. Yeah. So we know he's there, but how far away he is from playing, whether they're being just super cautious ahead of the World Cup, I don't know. I mean, we are in a pretty luxuriant position. We're having this debate about Kieran Tierney and Takahiro Tomiyasu, and arguably. The first choice, Zinchenko's not even available. I mean, that's a yeah. It shows the strength and the options that we have. I think in that defensive unit, we are very blessed across the back four with choice. You know, choice and quality for sure. Yeah, for sure. A um, couple of questions like this: Emil Smith, row your boat. Says. Evening, guys. Does anyone know what that strapping that the players like uh, Saka, Ben White, wear around their wrist is for? I noticed Saka removing it as he was leaving the pitch, which I took as confirmation um, that he wasn't coming back. What's it for? And Matt Stretch 91, uh, goodly morning, gents. A uh, random one. Uh, I think about every time I watch him play. What's the strapping on Martinelli's hand? And before we do that, um, Jesse Lingard, when he came off the pitch, um took off a load of strapping and just threw it down. Yeah, that was great, actually, seeing him what, come off. What a litter bug. I think, you know, there are bigger problems that the world has to face these days, but six months in jail for Jesse Lingard for, you know, that kind of wanton disrespect to our carpet um, would, would surely change people's uh, behaviours in the future, no? I think so, yeah. Um, but it was really good fun to see Jesse Lingard. It was. Depart. He didn't like it, did he? He did not like <laughs> it at all. Um, I don't know what the wrist strapping is. We've had this question before, and I don't know the answer. Um, I, I've had it suggested to me that it's, it's aesthetic, you know, that mm. it's just like a, a, an adornment that players wear. They can't wear jewellery on the pitch, so they strap up their wrists. Um an opportunity for marketing. I, d I honestly don't know. Um, but uh, listen, he's playing very well with it. So yeah. he could do whatever he likes. Um, another one, because we've got to get this uh, podcast out. But um, Tom Ross said, uh, with so much to talk and write about, uh, about Arsenal's continued impressive start to the season, has Gunnar Blog forgotten his duty as Arscast Extra Strictly Come Dancing Correspondent. A quick update on Tony Adams' progress will suffice. Um, Man, I can't Tony bring Adams myself to watch uh, the show, so what's going on? <laughs> Tony Adams is still in. Uh, he's doing Arsenal fans very proud, and I think Arsenal fans are doing him proud. I know you haven't been watching the show, but did you see no. any of the stories in the British press No. this week about... Hang on, I've got to... Fears that Tony Adams will win strictly. <laughs> Fears. <laughs> yeah, because here you go. Uh, I'm afraid to say it's in the Daily Mail. Fears dance duffer Tony Adams could dance win strictly duffer. come dancing. Come on. As 100,000 Arsenal fans propel his title charge, <laughs> despite savage comments, low scores, and weeks at the bottom of the leaderboard. So, as far as I understand it, the scoring system. Um, it's partly the judges and then the other half of it is audience vote. Um, and Tony, despite getting quite poor scores from the judges week in, week out, has been doing very well in the audience vote. And 
apparently a, a Facebook group called She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, the Arsenal have organized a social media campaign across social media platforms uh, to win votes for Tony Adams. Basically, you know how Arsenal digitally can just win any poll. Mm. Um, they are effectively rigging Strictly Come Dancing in Tony Adams's favour at the present time. But I think it's not just that. I do think he's really resonating with people. The show is, you know ostensibly about people who aren't dancers learning to dance. And mm. unfortunately what happens is that a lot of time you get people on there who are, you know, pop stars or background in musical theatre, people who basically can already dance. And it's great to watch someone excel, but it's very charming to watch someone who maybe isn't the most naturally talented or coordinated person uh, be humble and learn and be prepared to, fail and try hard and get better and sure. basically do their best on national television. And Tony comes across as a very humble, winning personality. Um, and I think the nation is is taken to him. And actually his last, his dance this weekend, uh, he did a quick step dressed as uh, Lucifer, <laughs> the devil, because it was a Halloween themed episode, <laughs> and he scored really well from the judges. He oh, got like good. I think seven and eight out of ten. Like you know the 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 hee haw donkey chants have subsided, and uh, mm. he's showing he's he has got good feet for a big man. So wow. yeah, he's doing very well, and long uh, long may it continue. Let's hope the Arsenal fans keep voting for him. Well, you know, it's not as if there is no precedent for. Arsenal Twitter and the Arsenal online fan base skewing polls massively <laughs> exactly. in, in our favour. So, um, yeah, well done, everyone who's doing that. Keep it up. And uh, it'd be amazing if, if Tony could win it. So, um, right, I think that's probably that um, for this one. We've got to get it out, and people have been waiting all day for uh, for the podcast. So thank you for bearing with us. Thanks for your patience. Um, we, we, uh, we should be back to normal next week. I think. I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, look, um, it's a busy week. Zurich on Thursday. Chelsea coming up at the weekend. Plenty to talk about um, on the side and everything else. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, as always, for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.